Well, good morning. My name is Lee Grander. Uh, it is a hot day indeed, and I know you've heard it so many times, and you're ready for me to get on with it so we can get out of here. I promise. I've been coming in at 27 minutes, so uh, no promises. Well, I am excited to see what God will do through his word and through his spirit this morning in our time together. Uh, we're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Judges, where we have been tracing uh, this big theme. The theme is when God is not king. About three weeks ago now, we kicked off this sermon series, and uh, our teaching pastor, one of our teachers, uh, Jamie Borchik, let us know that there are two big currents that are going through this book. The first current is the increasing ruin of rebellion. And the second is the astonishing character of our God. Today we will continue on the foundations that Joe and John laid last week as we look at these two main currents in the life of Gideon. Our text this morning, if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your phones, is Judges chapter 6 verse 33 through Judges chapter 8 verse 3. There's so much to say about Gideon whose story goes from chapter 6 to the end of chapter 9, his family and legacy. But this morning, we will focus on three shorter passages, shorter-ish passages, to explain the one big idea that God wants us to know this morning. The big idea is this. When we take God at his word, we will experience great victory. When we take God at his word, we will experience great victory. Let's pray before we jump into God's word. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask that you prepare our hearts for the receiving of your word. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see your word with new eyes. God, that you would refresh our hearts as we continue to strive after you, as we continue to be empowered by your spirit to become more Christ-like. For your sake, God, not for our own. Help us this morning to come with a humble heart. And God, I pray that uh, you would increase and I would decrease, that your word would stay with our hearts and in our ears, and any word of my own would fall flat to the floor. God, I pray that you would be worshipped this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to catch up super quickly from last week, if you weren't here with us, or if you forgot over the last seven days, if you did, it's okay, there's no judgment here, we are going through the cycle of the judges. Every cycle in the story goes like something like this. God and his people, or God's people has sinned and done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The next step is God gives them over into the hands of their enemy. When they're in the hands of their enemy in our story today under the Midianites, uh, they have been there for seven years and finally call out to the Lord and say, help. Well, God usually gives another judge, but in our story, if you remember last week, first he gave a prophet to remind his people that they had sinned against the Lord, that they had disobeyed his word, and that they had feared other gods. It was just a quick disclaimer, and then they brought it back to the judge. The judge was Gideon, and if you remember, Joe and John kicked us off last week. Uh, they told two little stories to give us a background and so that we can be caught up for today. The first story was the angel of the Lord who went to Gideon to literally convince him that he was uh, the angel of the Lord himself and that 
Gideon was God's chosen deliverer. And the second was there was a small victory for Gideon over the idols and uh, God's preparation for Gideon to eventually experience the great victory over the Midianites. So God, in that story, has revealed to us a small detail that's crucial for us to understand. When he did tear down the Baals and the Asher, He did it motivated by fear. If you remember, he did it at night. So we see that our great deliverer is a fearful man. We have a fearful deliverer, but yes, he is chosen by God. Let's jump into the first section of the text that I have titled, Gideon doesn't take God at his word. If you want to look with me, we're in chapter 6, verse 36 through 40. It reads this way. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me, least let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did that night. God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece, and on all the ground there was dew. Gideon doesn't take God at his word. At first, this might seem a bit harsh. What if Gideon was just trying to discover and determine the will of God? What's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with discerning and trying to determine the will of God, except the divine will here was already perfectly clear in Gideon's mind. If you remember back in uh, verse 14 and 16 of chapter 6, God has repeated himself. He, w- he said he would send and be with Gideon as he delivered the Midianites into his hand. And if you look back at verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord had just clothed him. So we see Gideon, for Gideon, it is clear what the will of God is. He's empowered by the Spirit of God. He has been given a sign by the angel of God to know that he is the deliverer for God. But Gideon now is looking for a way out. I know our big idea is when we take God at his word, we'll experience great victory. But it's important to see what happens when we don't take God at his word. I want to suggest there's two really important things that happen when we don't take God at his word. Devastating things. First, we sin against God. And second, we don't walk in our God-given purposes. We know that putting God to the test is a sin, right? In Luke chapter 4, verse 12, we see Jesus interacting with Satan, and he says, as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We know that Gideon is testing the Lord because he said it. Not once, but twice he tests the Lord, and he knows it. Look at verse 39 with me. Gideon says, let not your anger burn against me. Gideon knows what he's doing is wrong. And he knows what he deserves from God. 
sin brings burning anger from the Lord. When I say sin, I think it's important to clarify. I mean any failure to conform to the moral law of God and act, attitude, or nature. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Sin is simply when we turn our backs from God and run away and say, we've got this, not going to listen to you anymore. It's what separates us from a holy God. But what's astonishing about God's character in our text is that he overlooks Gideon's sin. He's merciful to Gideon and allows his test to be completed. God is merciful to his people. It's astonishing. Second, when we don't take God at his word, we are walking and we aren't walking in our God-given purpose. We are walking without purpose. Rather than doing what God told Gideon, rather than saving Israel from the Midianites' hand, Gideon is using time to ask God questions he already knew. He is taking time to do the things that he knows is wrong. And this one gets me, church family. This one gets me. Because this is where we see ourselves in the story of Gideon. If you're honest with yourself, don't you identify a little bit with Gideon? Has God spoke to you by his word? Has he burdened you with his word, but you have been hesitant because you are fearful of acting on it? Or because, frankly, you'd rather look for a way out? Well, for me, it was about three months ago. We're reading through the book of James. I believe it was three months ago. It feels like time has flown by. But we got about 27 verses into the first chapter, and immediately God convicted me of his word. In James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the widow and the orphans in their affliction. As I read the text, I thought, as a follower of Christ, this is what it looks like to be like Christ. This is a burden that's been set on my heart. This is what God has called me to. I've... I have been thinking about that for the last three months, and I confess publicly that this is an aspect in my life where I have heard God's word but not acted on it. I promise you I have thought of every excuse in the book why I shouldn't do this, why I shouldn't serve the vulnerable and the poor in our neighborhood, but if I'm honest with you, my excuses are simply just things to help me not feel guilty about obeying God's word. So again, I publicly confess this is something where I have not acted on what God has spoken to me. And I invite you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to hold me accountable in the next couple months to make sure that I'm walking in what God has spoken. I wonder if God has done something similar in your hearts. Has he spoken to you through his word? said something that you know you should be doing, but just aren't. Maybe it's not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, making your requests made known to God. Maybe God has burdened you simply to read or pray, to read his word or to pray, and you haven't because you're fearful of losing time for family or sleep 
fear of not being as productive or missing out or simply being uncomfortable. I know as a church, we always pound these two things. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Make sure you're praying. Get in, the, get in your time in the, in, in the Lord in the mornings and at, in the evenings. But you guys, I have to remind us again and again why we say this. It's often lost. We say read the word of God and pray because God's word is a love letter that he has sent for you. He has poured himself out into these words so that we would know who he is and how our God, the creator of the universe, views us. And you guys, you need to see it. We also recognize that you can't take God at his word if you don't know it. When we don't take God at his word, when we seek not to be doers of God's word, but merely hearers, we don't walk with a purpose. We live knowing there is this great victory to be had, but never experiencing it. God has raised up Gideon for a specific purpose, and he has prepared good works before him to walk in, much like he's done for you and me. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, God has raised you up for a very specific purpose, to be the salt of the earth, the city set on a hill, the light of the world, so that many people would come to know and enjoy life as God created them, as the life that God has created them for, in a relationship with the living God and with his family. You guys, we need Gideon in the Bible. Because frankly, we deeply identify with him. It's not just a story of a frail, flawed, fearful judge, but it's also a story of God revealing to Gideon time and time again. And it gives us hope. It's a story of God pursuing his people. A story where great victory is won by God, not using the obvious choice, but by using Gideon, who more importantly is God's choice. We love Gideon because God shows us how loving and merciful he is to his people who are much like Gideon, like you and me. This is truly a story about God who has promised the victory. And in our second main point, we are talking about a God who doesn't want us to take his word into our own hands. He wants us to take, his, take him at his word, but he doesn't want us to take his word into our own hands. Join me in chapter uh, 7, verse 2, as we continue the story. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from, the mount, from, the, from mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and only 10,000 people remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you. There and anyone whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. 
And likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink should be set by themselves. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands in, the, in their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the, and let all the others go, every man to his home. God doesn't want us to take his word into our own hands or take the credit for what he's doing. This is crazy. I had a really hard time when I was preparing, trying to string all this stuff together, especially here because I read a little bit ahead into chapter 8, verse 10, where it says that the Midianites had 135,000 soldiers. I don't know if you're tracking with me here, but Israel had 35,000 or 3,200, 32,000, there it is, math wasn't my strong suit, 32,000 Israelites up against 135,000 Midianites. That's a no contest. But God still had to say, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. I struggled because this seems nuts. How could you think you would win that battle? From the outside looking in, the only way that that battle is won by the Israelites is by a mighty act of God. Yet, God knows people's hearts. And he knew my heart. He knew that we like the Israelites would try to take credit for even that. As I thought more about it, this is something that I I thought our culture shares. In our culture, the one that we live in, we want to take credit. We want all of the credit. In our culture, we delight in saying, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, or I'm a self-made man or woman, that I've done it. It's everywhere. Even in our church partner meetings, when people are recognizing other people and I'm sitting in the chair, it's not a minute before I start to think, call out to me. Give me the credit. I've done that. As I thought of my own heart, I started to understand how easy it would have been for the Israelites to want to take credit for everything. How easy it is for us to want all the credit, regardless of the odds. We want to say, call out to me, give me the credit, I've done it. The sad thing is when we think this is the purpose to life, to achieve, collect, and take credit. It's even more disheartening when we try to approach God this way. God, look at me. Look at how much I've done. Look at all my sacrifices. Look at my serving, my volunteer hours. Look at my willingness to go overseas. I deserve the credit. I deserve the credit is the cry of our hearts. The issue is not the things, but the issue is when we think it's what it's the issue is when we think it's what we've done that earns favor from the Lord. The issue is when we forget that great old verse in Deuteronomy 7, 7, when you get to it. That says the Lord did not choose 
the Lord did not choose or set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the people. Hear it again. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were actually the fewest of all people. God doesn't find favor in you because you are so great or because of what you've done. But he finds favor in you. In the next verse, he explains, finds favor because the Lord loves you. We must not take God's word into our own hands, believing that somehow we can fulfill it on our own and ultimately take credit for it. Rather, in taking God at his word, we must let God's word remain in his hands while being willing to participate, saying, send me. Ultimately, though, trusting God will be the one to bring the victory. We can trust this knowing that God is true to his word. This is my favorite part of the story of Gideon, that God is true to his word. We'll pick up in verse 9 in chapter 7. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah his servant and the out, uh, servant to the outposts of the armored men who were in the camp and the, Midian, the Midianites and the Almachites and all the people of the east laying along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Talk about going into a more fearful situation. I'm going to strengthen your hand but look at the numerous people in your enemy. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I have dreamed a dream and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. God is true to his word, and he shows it to him. This is my favorite part because God is patient and gracious and provides Gideon exactly what he needs so that he would trust God that he is true to his word. It's like God says to Gideon, flawed, failed, frail, fearful man, it's time to do what I've called you to. You are afraid, which I know you are, but here's a sign that you may know that I will be true to my word. How will you know? How will you know that you'll defeat the Midianites? The enemies themselves will tell you that God has already given them into your hands. Come on. Sign me up for that one, right? If God were to tell you that you could go into something knowing full well that even the enemy believed God had given them into your hands, would you go? 
church would you go? If God told me I could go into something knowing full well that I would win, I would go. What's interesting, and I wish we had more time to talk about this, is Luke chapter 4, verse 41, where the demons, the enemies of God, those in the enemy's camp shout out at Jesus, you are the son of God because they knew he was the Christ. I love this passage in Judges because it's the culminating event in Gideon's life before he finally goes to battle where he finally takes God at his word and experiences this great victory that was promised to him. All the dots have finally connected. He has begun to see that God has shown up in his life, that God has continued to reveal himself throughout his life, that God has given him everything that he needs so that he would trust his word to be true. If you are getting at this moment, you are given the courage that you need so that you could trust God's word because he continues to show you that it's trustworthy. Here in the story, what God says and what the enemies say is exactly what happens. Bringing only trumpets and empty jars with torches inside the jars, Gideon and the 300 went, taking God at his word, trusting that God would fulfill his word, and the final victory reads like this. Verse 20. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade. The Midianites were killing the Midianites. And all the army fled as far as Bethshahak toward Zerah and as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, by Tabith. When Gideon finally took God at his word, he experienced the great victory. This is a frail, may I remind you, a flawed, fearful man who didn't originally take God at his word. We can identify with him. He's a man who needed God to show that it is not the number of men he had in his army, but the power of God that would ultimately win his victory. There is a man who never, uh, who God never gave up on, a man who God patiently revealed himself to, showing his word was trustworthy and true. This is a frail, flawed, fearful man who by the help of the Lord overcame fear overtook a people who plagued his nation with idols and sin, all when he took God at his word. The reality is there are great sins and idols in our lives that hold us back from experiencing the joy of the Lord, the riches of Christ Jesus, the promises of God. There are battles to be had and victories to be won if we would only take God at his word. We don't have to be great in order to experience victory in the Lord. As a matter of fact, God has historically empowered weak people to experience victory in the Lord. 
He did it with Moses, an 80-year-old stuttering shepherd to overthrow the mightiest nation in the entire world. He did it with David. God sent a teenage shepherd boy to defeat the Philistines and overthrow a giant named Goliath. He did it with Mary, sending the Savior of the world into a family of Nazareth. And he's done it with the disciples turning the world upside down through the group of an, uh, through the group of uneducated fishermen. Church family, what makes you think you couldn't experience great victory over sin? What is the battle that is before you? What is the fear that's holding you back from experiencing victory in Christ? What are you trusting more than God's word? I pray that you would take God's word and experience the victory in Christ. This morning, if you are feeling stuck in your faith, if you are fearful or anxious about having it all together, needing to do it by yourself, taking credit for it all, if you are feeling far from God, so far from his word this morning, if you are living, doing things you know are wrong, Or if you just don't know Jesus, hear this. Jesus has fought and ultimately won the battle for your soul. He has fought and won the battle for your joy. He has fought and won the battle for your peace and your rest. He has fought and won the battle so that you may have a divine purpose. When sin separates us from God, we cannot hope to win any great victory because God is not on our side. But when we are connected to God, it doesn't matter how bad the odds. God always has the upper hand. When Jesus was nailed on the cross between two guilty men, two murderers, it looked like God had lost. We may feel like we are losing. It looked as if all hope was lost and Satan was victorious. But the Bible says, For those who have faith in Jesus, it was his death on the cross that released us from any power, people, or thing that was against us. It was his resurrection that brought us new life. And it was ultimately the empty tomb that is the greater sign that gives us confidence that God's word is trustworthy and true. Like Gideon, we don't have to complete our salvation because we believe that Jesus has done it for us. And he he strengthens us by his Holy Spirit, which he has given to us so that we might to overcome our battles against sin. It was the Savior and the Savior alone who established God's word in our heart. It was the Savior with the power to move mountains who defeated Satan's sin and death that we may be released from their power. And it is the risen King who now clothes us, those who believe with the Holy Spirit, when we take God at his word, when we trust the word who became flesh, it is only then that we can experience and share in the victory that Christ has already won on your behalf. Let's pray. God, you are truly the great victor. We see Jesus and we see your love poured out for us. God, we see your desire for us not to be taken by fear, walking in sin, staying 
and fear, anxiety, and purposelessness. But God, you have desired for us to know you, to walk with purpose, to walk in confidence, and to walk in power. So God, I pray that you would help us by your Spirit, that you would move us to take steps past the things that are holding us back from experiencing everything that you have planned for us, the joys of Christ Jesus, the promises of God, and the life that is truly life. God, help us because we need you. We pray in Jesus' name.